Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Today is our series finale. And right now, we're concluding our series, How to Experience God, which is about the roadmap to relationship from the God who wants to be found from the God who wants to be found. And I hope that if you've been with us before today, that you've been encouraged by the truth that spiritual disciplines are not simply a set of behaviors that we need to check off or perform, that instead they're actually invitations from the Father to step into a deep and intimate connected relationship with Him. This series has taught us that in each of these promises, in every single one of these things, is the promise that we will experience the person the presence, and the power of Jesus Christ in those places. And I don't know about y'all, but we've covered a lot of ground in this series. So if you have not been here for the whole thing, make sure you go back on our podcast because we have covered fasting, we've covered prayer, we've covered study of God's word, we've covered secrecy, we've covered simplicity. We've covered solitude and silence as well as community. And last week we even covered confession and repentance. And it's been an incredible time. And I'm here to wrap this thing up with the art of worship. That's the title of today's message. And before we go any further, I just want to give us a frame of reference, a definition to work from, if you will. And it's this. Worship is an expression of reverence and adoration. It's one that recognizes the worthiness of someone or something. You know, lately I found myself giving my worship away to other things besides God, which ain't it just like him to bring me this message and place me on this week. But I wonder if you guys can relate if you've ever found yourself in a place of giving worship away to other things besides God. And many of you know Pastor Ella Chimaco. She's incredible, runs all of our creative and our worship. And she's one of my best friends and also now my boss, which is such a blessing. Um, And she had to bring to my attention recently how I wasn't acting like myself at work, that I'd lost joy that I wasn't acting like a team player. She had to sit me down and ask, like, if I was okay, like, what was going on, like, what was happening? And I shared with her what I was finding difficult, what I found challenging, and why I thought I was responding the way I was. And then she did this thing that I will forever be grateful for. She told me the truth. She acknowledged the difficulties that, yes, we are facing, but also pointed out how in my entire response, all I did was blame shift. She helped me to see how who I was becoming was actually negatively impacting the people that we work with and others. And because I have godly friends who look out for the blind spots that I have and are willing to tell me the truth in love, that she actually helped me to see how I was no longer worshiping God and at some point had taken my eyes off Jesus and fixed them on myself. See, I was worshiping my feelings by acting like they justified my behavior. I clearly wasn't worshiping God and his grace for our team and his call on our church because I was out on my own island trying to self-preserve. See, instead of worshiping God for his call and his grace, I was actually worshiping myself by refusing to take responsibility for my contributions to those things. It was a hard, it was a hard pill to swallow, y'all. But it was so worthy of me giving time to hear, and it was so undeniably true And what it did was it actually allowed me to grow up and redirect my worship back to God, back to his grace for all of us, back to his humility so that I could walk in greater humility with others. And, you know, that whole experience, it made me realize that worship's got a problem. And I knew it was going to be quiet because y'all didn't know worship's got a problem, but it does. Can I tell you what it is? It's this. Worship is amoral. 
It's got no intrinsic morality, meaning it is neither bad nor good. See, worship, the problem with worship, it attaches itself to whatever we allow it to. And maybe, maybe you're not so different from me. Maybe you found yourself in that place of glorifying and worshiping all kinds of worthless things. The tricky thing about worship is that it's pretty impossible to hide what we're worshiping or who we're worshiping for very long because it always reveals itself in who we're becoming. Let's look at today's passage to see this reinforced through the voice of our psalmist. We're in Psalm 115, if you got your Bibles. And we're going to start at verse 1 through verse 8. It reads, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. They have feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And looking again at that last verse, Psalm 115.8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. It's impossible to hide what we're worshiping for very long because it is always revealing itself in who we are becoming. And if you're looking for proof, right, just look around you, look at the character, look at the behaviors that you're forming. I revealed I was worshiping myself by treating others with contempt and not wanting to receive feedback. It's that anxiety, that subtle lean towards selfishness, the slight willingness to use people to get what you want that reveals your worship of money. It's the attitude of entitlement towards your bitterness, my unwillingness to forgive, and the defensiveness we carry that reveals that we're actually worshiping our wounds instead of the God who can heal us. Likewise, when we worship Christ, it's our holiness, our forgiving nature, it's our patience, our trustworthiness. It is the joy that reveals this to the world around us that Christ is what we worship. See, we are always wearing our worship on the outside. We do not just worship God on the inside. We do not just worship God in the shower or when other people's voices are loud enough so nobody can hear us. We worship God on the outside, and that's because worship is not an internal revelation. Worship is an external manifestation of what we've already placed our faith in. And as Christians, our faith must be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God is holy and good, that he created us for a relationship, but sin entered the picture and each of us individually has chosen, chosen to turn away from God. So Jesus Christ took on flesh, walked among us, revealing the Father died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, was buried, rose again in three days in accordance with the scriptures, defeating death and allowed us to receive his righteousness and reconciliation with the Father and is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning and is worthy of our entire lives, not just 20 minutes on a Sunday that we oftentimes show up late to. This is our confession of faith. This is, the, um, this is the internal revelation that reflects itself in how we worship. Going back um, to Psalm 115, we look at that first verse. And the thing about this is, before we read it, is that God knows this about worship. Like, it's not a surprise to him. He's like, oh, 
I didn't think it was going to turn out like that. No, God knows that worship reflects and worship attaches itself to whatever we give it to. This is why in the Old Testament and the New that the scriptures are littered with instructions about who we are to give our worship to more than even how we worship. It focuses so much on who we worship. And so going back to the first verse from today's passage, Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord. Say it with me. Not to us. All right. But to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The psalmist here rejects glory for himself, which is a hard thing to do as humans. And he rightfully gives it away to God, giving God honor and praise. And Revelations 4.11 says something similar. It says it like this. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Who came before God? No one. Who caused God to exist? Who brought him into existence? No one. And no one and nothing can boast that same nature. So no matter how many options the world presents us with, only God is capable of lifting us up out of our broken humanity because he wasn't created by us. The stock market, the marriage, The kids, the dream home, the dream job, the comfortability, the popularity. We all know in this room that at our core, that none of that is able to save and redeem our souls the way the God who restores and heals and fights for us and makes new can. The psalmist knew this to be true. As a matter of fact, he knew it. That's why in the latter part of today's passage, he starts looking at the way that these man-made idols are, these man-shaped gods. How worthless are the idols of gold and silver or time or position or popularity? They're so worthless in the face of the God who speaks, who leads, who guides, who forgives, who shows mercy. On the other side, we see these idols are mute, deaf, blind without feeling. McLaren, a Scottish minister from the 19th century, says it this way. He says, men make God after their own image, and when made, gods make them after theirs. The same principle which degrades the idolater lifts the Christian to the likeness of Christ. And this is where we discover how blessed we are that worship is not a nice idea. It's not something that we can opt into or opt out of based on how we're feeling that day. But the Bible makes clear that worship is a command. It's commanded by God. And God knows the same way we do, if we're honest with ourselves, that as humans, we have a natural bent. We are naturally inclined to worship. Right? Whether it's like our favorite sports team, whether it's that car that we drive, whether it's that new album that we think is better than every other album. All the Taylor Swift fans say hello. No, I'm just No, she good. She, she good. Um, but God knows the same way that we do, right? That we are so inclined to worship. And that when it's re- misdirected, it's our downfall. Right? Not just for ourselves, but for the people around us that we hurt in the process. So God commands us to worship for his glory and our good. Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 14 from the message version says this. We're going to start with deeply respect God. Boom, there we go. Deeply respect God, your God. Serve and worship him exclusively. Exclusively. Back up your promises with his name only. Don't fool around with other gods, the gods of your neighbors. Because God, your God, who is alive among you is a jealous God. 
going back to the New Testament, you find in Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Worship is for our good because we are always wearing our worship on the outside and becoming like what we worship. I don't need to convince you of this because it's the same thing that we already say in so many other areas of our life. This concept proves true. Look at that phrase, show me who your five closest friends are and I'll show you who you're becoming, right? We can all agree that who we spend our time with, ascribe worth to, and place our trust in shapes us. It's true, which is why as we hear God's command to worship, we can actually look to the person of Jesus and marvel at the privilege that we've been given to worship him. Hebrews 4.15 says it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, yet without sin. Jesus, who was tempted and won, our only hope of victory, and the God who sympathizes and cares for us, though he is still perfect, How easy it would be for him to be judgmental or to look upon us with condemnation or shame. But God looks at us in our weakness and shows compassion and sympathy. Is that not a picture of a person you would want to become? Right? Looking now at Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, the very picture of sacrificial love and selflessness. And lastly, in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the one who is constant and trustworthy. These are all pictures of the kind of person that we would love and strive and work to become. Jesus is infinitely worthy of our worship. And the truth that God commands us to worship for his glory and our good, our good being becoming more like Jesus, right? It again grounds us back in the heart of this entire series. It's all tied up together. Spiritual disciplines, guys, they're necessary to the thriving Christian life because regularly placing ourselves in the presence of the Lord deepens our relationship with him and transforms us more into the likeness of Jesus. This is why they've all got that same power and that same promise. And the art of worship is the title for today's message. But as I mentioned earlier, that worship is not an internal revelation. It's an external manifestation of whatever we've placed our faith in. And so before we get to the art of worship, we must understand the act of worship. And so the act of worship, again, if y'all got notes, this is where you want to write this down. The act of worship is rooted in two truths. Worship is a posture and worship is a declaration. The act of worship is a posture. Let's start there. As humans, we were designed to be postured towards God. The design of our posture is God-centered. But because of sin, our default posture is me-centered, right? I'm probably not the only one who finds it so easy to go right back to focusing things on me. Like our default. And so that's why worship is a posture and that's why it's an act. Worship is an act because if we, our default is to be me-centered, then choosing to remain postured towards God is a deliberate choice. It's an act. We choose to make that happen in our own hearts and minds. And you know, something that can make us unwilling to stay postured towards God 
is our natural tendency to become casual about sin. We are so good, and I'm just leveling with y'all if that's all right. We are so good at deluding ourselves about the effect of our sin in our lives and in the lives of others. But here's the problem that it creates. It does not matter if the sin that you are being casual about is a big sin or a little sin or however you're trying to calculate it in the grand scheme of things. When we lose sight of how grievous sin is, we forfeit our sight of God's glory. When we lose sight, when we become casual about how grievous sin is, we make this decision here and then we inevitably forfeit our sight of God's glory. And spoiler alert, we are never too inclined to worship what we don't recognize as glorious. Look at bandwagon fans, right? Like it's a human phenomenon. We are not too inclined. All the people who are loyal to that one team that's losing right now, they're like, no, I'm loyal. No, but we are not too inclined to worship something we don't find glorious. It's just human nature. And so this is why we need to keep our heart soft. And make no mistake, it's not that God's glory ever fades. It's not that God's glory ever changes. But our ability to see it does. And it can. And Paul, he's, he's in this passage that we're about to read, he's talking to the church in Rome. And he says it so clearly like this. We're looking at our Bibles in Romans 1 verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made uh, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Jumping down to verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, um, the creature rather than the creator. The truth about God is that he is absolutely holy and righteous and perfect and cannot tolerate sin. Yet when we exchange that truth for the lie that our sin isn't that bad, that our sin isn't really on God's radar, like, oh, he just didn't, didn't see that one, isn't aware of that, that sin can go unchecked in our relationship with him without realizing it. We exchange the glory of God for idols. And our worship immediately turns to all of these other things that are willing to let our behavior fly. We worship and serve created things instead of the God who created everything. And sadly, even in our own minds, we start to diminish the cost and the price that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. When sin doesn't wreck our hearts the way it should, we mentally cheapen the cost that Jesus had to pay to redeem us from the penalty and the weight of our sins which is hell and eternal separation from God. That's why I love when we sing the song Homecoming on a Sunday or I try to sing it a lot at home because when we sing Homecoming, it's the opportunity to purge our hearts towards our apathy, towards sin and come into agreement with God's assessment. These scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross, right? Not staying in shame, not looking at our sin and and being so afraid to worship God because of our sin, but declaring these scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You, Jesus, nailed my debt to that old rugged cross, an empty slate at the empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. I want you guys to realize that the passion with which we sing, thank God that stone was rolled away, will always be dependent upon how deeply we agree with God's assessment that these scarlet sins had a crimson cost. 
when you start to realize the weight of sin and you get broken over it, it releases you into a joy and worship that is unparalleled. It releases you into this wonderful moment of recognizing the glory of Jesus' love, the boundlessness of his mercy towards us, and it releases you to worship freely. And you know, regardless of how we feel about our sins or about our circumstances, worship is a posture that should always reflect who God is, not how we feel. This is why our act of worship is also a declaration. Write that down, declaration. Worship, make no mistake, is how we sing. The Psalms are littered with instructions and examples of how we are to worship with songs and instruments and lifted hands and shouts of thanksgiving to God. And worship is, is so aligned with music because God knows wor- that music is a powerful tool that communicates through both information and emotion and brings things to our mind, right? It brings things to remembrance. I bet all y'all can tell me uh, what song maybe if you're married, what song maybe you danced to at your wedding. You might be able to tell me the first song you played in your car when you got your driver's license. You know, them windows down. You was bumping looking fly because you got your driver's license. You might be able to tell me the song that, that got you through a difficult time. That one that a friend sent you to let you know that they were praying about you and thinking of you. Music is a powerful communicator that draws truth and memory to our minds. This is why worship is a declaration. We do not wait till we feel like it to worship. We declare and we deliberately choose to worship God and call to our heart's remembrance who he is and why we trust him. That's why worship is a declaration. It's amazing. We're not waiting. We're not waiting. We're leading. We're leading our hearts. And that's the second thing with that. Worship doesn't lead, or sorry, worship doesn't follow, it leads. Worship is not an act of desperation. It is a weapon. And this changes the posture that we rock up with on a Sunday. It is not desperation. It is a weapon that we use to press into the presence of God and find strength. Worship is not an obligation. It is a reflection of relationship. Your worship don't lie, right? It's already a reflection. Worship is not a spiritual transaction. I give some, I get some, we do this, we do that. We have a little spiritual dance. Worship is our response to who God is. Worship is not a style of music. It is a style of living. It's easy to walk away from a worship set, from a one night, feeling all spiritual, being like, woo, let's go, right? Like we feel it, we feel it. But I wonder if we have that same weight and reverence when we walk away from an interaction with our coworker. I wonder if we have the same weight and reverence when we are speaking to a friend or speaking about a situation with other people, right? I wonder, um, gosh, I just, it, it's so easy in this place. And, I, and, and the reason why it's easy to get caught up here is because we so easily disconnect our bodies and the practical daily living from worship. But again, the beautiful thing is about the Bible is that it's Jesus veering off. And it's like, hey, no, no, no. Come on back. So Paul in Romans 12, let's read this verse together. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? So body, mind, everything is involved here that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
See, worship is more than singing and more than a song. Spiritual worship is flesh and bones. It's how we approach our business plans. It's what we allow into our thought lives. And when we worship God, we are declaring his glory and how worthy he is, which means by default, we are declaring that everything that he is, is also worthy. His values, his truths, his design for our bodies, his design for relationships, his commands, his values, his will, all of these things are tied up. When we proclaim that God is worthy, everything that God is, is worthy, including the things that matter to him most, which is why bringing genuine worship to God, this is how you tell if you're doing this. The fruit is you always reorienting your life around the things that matter to God most, which is loving him and loving people and serving them well. Jesus said it perfectly. He says it in Matthew 22. We're looking at his response to someone who's asking him about the Old Testament. What was the most important commandment? And Jesus sums this up for us so well. Starting in verse 37, it says, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And genuinely worshiping God is loving and serving those that he loves and serves. It's how I talk to my husband. It's how we handle our money. It's how you show up to work. It's whether or not you live with integrity. It's how you love people. It's all an act of worship. And the Bible makes clear how we as the saints of God are to gather to continue stirring our faith and bringing a song to God that worships him. There is no biblical lifestyle void of corporate worship. I want us to know that. There is no biblical lifestyle void of corporate worship and gathering. But in the same vein, there is no biblical lifestyle void of personal and private worship and devotion, as well as a lifestyle of outwardly serving and loving others as worship. They are non-negotiables for anyone wanting to love and serve God the way that he's instructed to. Because have y'all ever had that friend or maybe that partner, and they be trying to love you, but it's not in the ways that you receive love. Like, you don't really care about gifts, and they just give you all the gifts. Pastor Nick, <laughs> Pastor Nick learned this the hard way with me one time. She got me a birthday present, and it was the sweetest thing. And she gave it to me. I think my birthday was on a Sunday. And then she was texting me. And she like, how'd you like it? And it was Tuesday, and I had not opened it. I had forgotten. Because I was, like, in the Sunday, in the hustle bustle, and my birthday's around Christmas, so, like, traveling, and it was crazy. But then she was like, oh, dang. I, like, I learned what means a lot to you. Like for me, it's quality time and, and acts of service. And for God, it's loving people and serving people. We can't tell God, okay, I'm gonna have this moment in my car and that's gonna be how I worship you. So that should be good enough. When we really care about anyone in our lives, we try to learn about them, right? To learn how they receive love and to give that so sacrificially. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we can develop this lifestyle of all three things, we actually allow ourselves to build up a character that's able to worship God on our bad days and our good days. No matter what the circumstances like, when there ain't no seven-piece band, and you ain't got them voices, and we ain't got Pastor Joe's voice, you know? Like, can you still worship when it's just you and your car? And if y'all can tell, I, I probably don't hit a lot of notes. Like, when it's just you, right? Or when your coworker, or when someone is like, just, ooh, getting under your skin, can you still worship? You will if you've got the character built. And so when we'd rather go through the motions of lifting hands, of showing up places, becoming hollow in the process, developing a spiritual discipline of the act of worship 
rightly postured and declarative is what keeps our hearts softened towards God. So when we'd rather show up and just do the thing, he actually beckons us right back into his presence. And we can respond because our hearts are softened towards him. The art of worship, go ahead and write this down for the next section. The art of worship is different. When we talk about the art of something, we're talking about skilled workmanship. We're talking about a skill that has been refined and honed. It's the execution of a studied action, right? It's, it's, it's why the worship team doesn't just show up on a Sunday and do the thing randomly, but they're rehearsing. They're learning songs. MDs, the music director, is learning the chords, is learning different things so that he can lead the team in where it's supposed to go. It's why when you show up to your job, hopefully you know how to use the programs you're supposed to use because you studied, right, and you can execute that action. So where the, art, where the act of worship is a deliberate choice of posture and declaration, the art of worship, and again, write this down, is the lasting commitment to sacrifice and work. I'm sorry I didn't say singing. It's the lasting commitment to sacrifice and work. And I know that might sound daunting, but worship is a sacrifice. I want us to think of it as, as what we put down. There's a price to the art of worship. It's the price of our preferred attitude, our preferred actions, or our outlook. It's the price of, again, those things in other words. It's the price of our mood, our disciplines, and our faith. In the same way that last week's message about confession taught us that we need to be able to sacrifice our pride so that we can seek healing and freedom from sin with the community that God has placed us in, worship is a sacrifice of our opinions about God and our life circumstances in order to receive his strength, joy, truth, and peace. It is laying those things down and coming into the truth of who he is. Worship is not a response to a feeling. It is a commitment to truth. That's why the bass could be going crazy or feedback or I don't know, name all the things that we let distract us and then we all start looking around. The reason that we don't need to look around is because our worship is not based on how well this is going. Our worship is not a response to a feeling of being distracted or not entertained enough by the worship team. I'm trying to help us go somewhere when the worship team is up there because if we wait for them to lead us and then get there by the bridge of the third song, we've missed the heart of worship. We show up ready to worship because it's a response to who God is, because it's a commitment to truth. That's why it's always the right response to worship. Worship is not a feeling. It's a dedicated focus. Worship does not follow, as I said earlier, it leads. And looking at Hebrews 3.15, we're instructed a little bit about worship, the art of it. Through him, meaning Jesus, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Through him, through Jesus, meaning on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, not our works and all the things that we perform during the week and are bringing before God, but on the basis of Jesus' perfection are we to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's why worship is a sacrifice of our shame so we can receive the forgiveness that God is waiting and ready to give you. This is why worship is a sacrifice of self-pity so that we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship is a sacrifice of our time and our energy when doom scrolling and Netflix and worry would rather call my attention and call me to worship and give it those things so that instead I can say no and I'm gonna worship God and be steadied and renewed in my mind by his presence. Worship is also work. 
Worship is work, y'all. So think of it, right? So if sacrifice is what we're putting down, worship is what we're picking up. Sacrifice is what we put down, and worship as work is what we are picking up. Think of it as what you're remaining committed to. Now, I'm so glad that I told y'all that we are talking about spiritual disciplines today because the cat is already out of the bag that it requires discipline, right? But I think I just want to remind us that we all know that discipline is the only thing that can get us what's worthwhile, right? It's the discipline to be trustworthy and generous and kind that gets us relationships that are worthwhile. It's discipline in our eating and exercise that gets us a health that's worthwhile. Likewise, discipline in our worship of God gets us a thought life that's worthwhile because it is constantly meditating on the truth of who God is. And it's like a muscle. The stronger you work it, the more you develop that art of worship. It's going to be a stronger muscle than the other muscles of the lies that are trying to creep in and talk to you. So we develop this thing. It takes work. And the work of workmanship, or sorry, the the work of worship, all these W's that get me tied up, y'all. But the work of worship, it's not just in becoming a better singer. For us here today, it's in becoming a better Christian. For every Christian, the work of worship is becoming a better, a more faithful, a more loving son and daughter of God. It's growing in our devotion when you're given that new responsibility at work, do you work your hardest and best to learn that program or do you settle for mediocrity to just get by? When you don't wanna show up at one night and the drive is far and I know it's far, y'all, are you gonna put in the work to place yourself in an undeniably transforming atmosphere of worship and ministry and prayer that will edify you? The art of worship is work. Because learning the art of anything requires effort and consistency. You know, before I gave my life to Jesus, the thing that I was probably most devoted to was soccer. Like, I think I probably came out the womb in some soccer cleats. I'm the youngest, have two older brothers, so sports were just, you know, tacked on. I was like the third boy. No, but I just, I came out in soccer cleats. So my earliest memory is like, and if I scored a goal, maybe we go to Toys R Us. And I'll get that Simba toy or something. But I grew up playing soccer all the time. Middle school, high school, even played club all throughout middle school and high school, varsity, like, devoted my life to this. The most time I gave to someone before I met Jesus was probably soccer. And one of the positions that I played was goalkeeper. And one of the things that my coach did to help us learn, the other goalkeeper and I on the team, to help us learn the art of goalkeeping, y'all might cringe, it was hard, y'all. But she would, she walked up and got a trash can. So think of, like, the trash cans back there or, like, the ones that you have at your house that are maybe, like, yay high and circle. She, she it was the worst. She would pull one out place it down and we had to dive over the trash can to catch the ball back and forth so right so if I'm right here and here's that trash can she's got the ball toss you dive you catch you hit you throw the ball back before you get up you're back up you dive and you did that over and over and over again for I don't know how long it was too long no but you did it over and over again because it developed the art of being unafraid to hit the ground it developed the art of being unafraid to go and get the ball when other players on the field were wanting to header it or get in there when it's your goal box and you're not going to let things go in that goal you we worked so hard and you know what it paid off there were several awards that I was given in high school not just for our for my high school, but across the league as best goalkeeper of the league. It got me a starting position on the community college team before my knee just went broke. Like it, it, I received so much from it. And I'm sure that whether or not y'all play sports, you can think of something in your mind that you've devoted time and effort and energy to, right? And you've gotten to reap the reward, whether it's the career that you're finally in and you're loving or the friendships that you've wanted for so long. 
we can all agree that there's something in our life that maybe we've developed and given things over to and we've received the thing and all I wanna tell you today is if we can do it for something as inconsequential as that, how much more worthy is worship? If I'm willing to get on the ground and dive over trash cans, right, over and over, if we're willing to learn something about a program or whatever it might be or how to make music or something, how much more worthy is it to learn the art of worshiping and connecting with the God who created you and loves you? And, and I, I, I wonder here today, what would change in your life if you developed the, a new capacity for worship? What could happen if you became the person through worship that actually put God in his rightful place and kept him there? What would happen with your thought life if you developed a life of worship? See, worship is our vehicle to honor and glorify and sacrifice and adore God. And how would your marriage change? If worship became a part of your routine, how would our church change, right? How would our church and the city change because we are not just worshiping and reflecting God for 20 minutes on a Sunday, but we're doing every day of the week in our jobs and grocery stores and anywhere we're found. Beauty is attractive, y'all. And I don't know anything more beautiful than God in his glory and his strength. How would your willingness to learn the act of worship and develop the art of worship, change your emotional health? How much would it steady you? How would the peace of God that we are able to receive in worship change the way that you battle anxiety, change the way that you battle the things that you're up against? This is the glorious power of worship. And as I wanna move us into a moment of prayer, so I would love if you could stand to your feet because I know that all of us in this room we're hu any, anyone else human? Yeah, I love the little giggles out of you. That's me. Um, knowing that it's so easy to worship other things. I would love it if you could identify an area of your life. Is there, and maybe for you, it looks like looking at who you're becoming. Is it a short temper, a short fuse? Is it worry and fear consuming you? Is it an apathy towards life or the inability to dream? What about who you're becoming might reveal what you're worshiping? Or maybe it's, it's super clear for y'all and you know what it is, but I think that there's all something in our lives that if we can go ahead and take all the worship that we've been giving to other things and just bring it back before God, we're gonna walk out of here a much lighter, a much more joyful and a much more victorious person. And so would you just close your eyes with me? I wanna give you an opportunity to respond and, and receive prayer. And so if that's you and you know that there's an area of your life that you took God out of his rightful place and he's no longer first, but your worship is directed somewhere else, I would love for you to raise your hand. We can keep our eyes closed. Amazing, amazing. Okay, well with all of our hands lifted, we're gonna pray. If maybe you didn't have an area that you found, I would love for you to continue praying for this whole room. Again, I always say this when I'm here, but we're a family. So your breakthrough isn't the only one that matters. The breakthrough of the whole room. 
So let's turn into intercessors in this moment. God, we thank you for every single person who lifted their hand. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit and his kindness is on display in the fact that you moved in their heart and allowed them to see the ways that they were not worshiping you, but were worshiping something else. And so, Father, we pray strength over them in this moment to turn from what it is and to turn back to you. God, we pray encouragement into their hearts right now that they would be reminded that any time that they draw near to you, that you are drawing near to them, God, that they don't have to worry about showing up to a place and wondering if you're going to show up too because you want a relationship with them, Father. And so we pray that they would also find a neighborhood group or a friend in this room to be able to open up to, that they would get to share that area and walk um, with a friend in that area so that they could receive encouragement after this moment as well. Again, when the music fades and Thursday hits and you wanna worship that other thing besides God, would you place people around them in their life to text them, to encourage them, to stand with them? And we just thank you, God, for the freedom that they're going to get to experience as they turn their worship back to you. We declare freedom in that area. We declare hope to be coming back into their heart as they fix their eyes on you because we know you're good, Father. We thank you, Jesus. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.